Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be joining us. And welcome. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition of Bible Bites, episode 246. As we continue reading through God's Word and specifically through the prophets, we've made it into Ezekiel. We're going to be here a little while longer, and then we'll proceed forward as we head into the New Testament and the epistles and and all of that. The, The whole of the scriptures are good, and we've already covered many good things, and I know God has a lot more for us. So I'm so glad you're joining us for these episodes. I wanted to read today, um, my reading for today is in Ezekiel chapter 16 and 17. So I want to talk a few minutes about a couple of things from these passages. Now, verses 1 through 14, God is speaking in a story form about his love, his compassion, and his covenant with Israel from her infancy even until this day of this time period of the writing in the Babylonian captivity. And he uses it in story form. It is amazing how much of the scripture is story form, parable form, etc. God uses an amazing way to communicate to us. Um, All through the Bible, he uses types and shadows. He uses story and parables, similes, metaphors, all kinds of things because he's trying to relate to us in ways that we can understand. We cannot understand a lot of the spiritual things unless we can have an understanding and connect them to natural things in our world that make sense to us. And so then we have that revelation that can carry forward. Jesus used this principle all throughout his ministry as well when he spoke a lot in parables and in stories. And so we see God using that even in the Old Testament. The book of Ruth, for instance, is one of those. And there are many other story forms and and types and shadows all throughout the whole of the Bible. Truly is one book. I want to read verse 8 from this section to you. And it says in verse 8, this is God speaking. He says, when I passed by you again and looked upon you, Indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, says the Lord God. So here he's saying, he's explaining to them that he took them as a a bride almost. He took them into a covenant marriage relationship with him. And so he has spread his wing over them and swore an oath and entered into a covenant with them. And this reminded me of Ruth's request in Ruth chapter 3 with Boaz. That's exactly what was happening there. And we covered that when we talked about the book of Ruth. But I want to just bring up this as well. The, um, the, That chapter has been misunderstood sometimes, and welcome as you join in. That chapter has been misunderstood sometimes because some have tried to add something to it that's not there. But when she lifted his uh, skirt, she she or she asked him to um, to lift his skirt over her, she was asking him to do the exact same thing that God is saying here. She was asking him to take her. She was appealing to him according to Leverite law, Leverette law, 
to take her in because she needed to be redeemed. She was asking for redemption. She was asking for that covenant. And that's exactly what God is talking about here. So this gives us understanding of both passages. And God is saying, this is what I did for you, my people, Israel. Now, again, we are in the book of the prophets, and this is Ezekiel is writing from Babylon. He's already been in, taken to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. He was taken in the second deportation about 597 BC. So he's in Babylon, and he is there, you know, for a, an extended period of time throughout. And while he's in Babylon, Israel is final, finishing their days, and the, um, and the, Captivity of Jerusalem is happening and Jerusalem's being destroyed and the final deportations and all of that are occurring during Ezekiel's ministry time period and while, um, while he is speaking. But uh, we'll see in here also where God is establishing his just cause. Let me read you again. In verse 14, there was something here in chapter 16, Ezekiel 16, verse Verse 14 here, he says this, he says, your fame, talking about Israel, he says, your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor, which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. It was God's beauty that was poured out on them. God bestows his beauty and his splendor on his people so that it can glorify him. It, we are to be a reflection of him. Do you know, um, it's possible that in the um, first chapter of Genesis, when it speaks of how God made man and woman in his image, it could potentially also be understood to be as his image. So in other words, it makes me think of a mirror. And, you know, a mirror really can only reflect what is in its view. So when, when God made us, he made us so that we would maintain our view and our cast our view up to him. And then he reflects down upon us. Um, he, he shines down upon us with his beauty. And then we can reflect that out to other people. So it's a very beautiful thing that God has done. We are to be a reflection of him and his glory and not take any of it as if it were our own. Then in verse 15, I want to bring out to you, he says, but you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. And so here, the, the main thing that I wanted to pull out of there is because of your fame. You know, it reminded me that there's a danger for leaders because leaders can, once they, especially when they begin to be noticed or whatever, it's a danger. We can fall into the same trap as King Saul did. God had said to him through the prophet Samuel, he said, when you were little in your own eyes, weren't you the greatest, weren't you king over all of Israel? And the Bible also says in another place in Proverbs where it says, before honor is humility. It's very important that we remain little in our own eyes. And as God begins to prosper or 
uh, raise us up or whatever, promotion, whatever it may be, that we remain little in our own eyes and we recognize that it is only from Him. And I just want to direct your attention to 1 Samuel 15, 17, where Samuel tells Saul that, and also to 1 Chronicles 29, 14, where David has this mentality and he says to God, he says, in essence, it is of your own that we give back to you. In other words, nothing I have, I can take credit for. God, it came from you to begin with. It's yours. And so whatever I can offer to you, it was yours to begin with. You're the one who gave it to me. You get all the glory. And so I offer it back unto you as an offering. May we have that mentality and always keep humility in our lives. In verse 15 through 19 of chapter 16, he's recounting his blessings on them and how they took those and turned and offered those to idols instead. He talks about, continuing on, the, the horrible abomination in verse 20 through 22 that they would do by taking the beautiful gifts of their children that God had given to them and sacrificing them to idols like Molech. I mean, these were unbelievable abominations that his people had gotten into. And then he likens them later on in that chapter down to, um, Israel. he likens Israel to sisters of Samaria and Sodom. And then he says, Israel has done worse than them. Now, the reason for that is explained to us in the Gospels, because Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. They had the Torah. They had the law. They had the covenant with God that none of the other nations had. And yet they did worse than that. Even Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. But Judah was even closer to the Lord. Judah had the temple. Judah had the presence of God there. And yet they turned and they rebelled. To whom much is given, much is required. And so they were held to a stricter standard. <clears throat> In verse 59, I found that this can be perhaps even considered as their gross sin um, that God has is judging them for the core of it, the core of it. It has come out in all of these other ways that he has listed and he builds his case and he makes his case for why they had to go into judgment. But in verse 59, he says this, for thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done who despised the oath by breaking the covenant. They took God's precious oath, God's precious covenant to them and they threw it in his face, put their fist in his face, and just despised it completely and broke it. And that, that was not what they should have done. That was a terrible thing for them, and God had to judge them for it. But notice this in verse 60. God still, in spite of all of this, he gives them a promise of hope. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting everlasting covenant with you. So there were better days that were going to come. This was not permanent. It was a judgment from God that they had to endure. But God had something better in the future, and he promised them and gave them hope 
even in spite of all of this. And he goes on down in the last part of the last verse of that chapter. And he says, when I provide you an atonement for all you have done, says the Lord God. And that's pointing us to Jesus, who was the atoning sacrifice for the Jewish people and for the world. Not just for them, for everyone, but it was also for his people, Israel. <clears throat> and so God provided the atonement that he promised. Then I want to just point out a few things from chapter 17. This whole chapter, or the first part, first half of this chapter, is a, a parable. It's a riddle. Um, it's another story. And then in the last part of the chapter, the last half or so of the chapter, we're told the meaning of it. So we don't have to guess at who these players are and what these things mean. It's similar to what Jesus did in, say, the parable of the sower that we call it. It's really probably could be listed as the parable of the soils, but we call it the parable of the sower. And so Jesus tells the parable, and then he sits down and he explains it. Okay, the sower went out to sow. The sower is this. The, the seed is this. The, the soils are these. And so he explains it. And so God does the exact same thing with this parable here in Ezekiel 17. And so it gives, he gives us the parable, and he also gives us the moral of it. And the vine... The, it's interesting because he's talking about building a vine, planting a vine here. And the vine, the first time it occurs, is in the prophetic word about Judah given by Jacob in Genesis 49, 9 through 11, which ultimately was speaking and prophetic of Jesus, the Messiah, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So it doesn't strike us as odd that in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, Jesus speaks of being that vine. He says, I am the vine. So after you read this and you see the understanding of it in that day, he speaks of the promise of a new vine he's going to uh, plant in verse 23. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it and it will bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar. Under it will dwell birds of every sort in the shadow of its branches. They will dwell and all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree and exalted the low tree, dried up the green tree and made the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. And that is a prophetic word, I believe, also speaking of Jesus as that true vine that would come and that he quotes himself to be or he speaks of being in John chapter 15. So he's promised that even though this vine was not what it needed to be and it became ruined and it had to be burned and it had to be dealt with, yet there was a promise of a true vine coming, one who was coming, and that was Jesus Christ the true vine. And so, beloved, I trust that these messages are inspiring you and are motivating and helping you. And may God bless you today in Jesus' name. I hope you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you in Jesus' name.